0: This is 16.9 Projects, I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably be curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode will get into the thinking behind the project and how it came together by talking to the people responsible. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favorite podcast listening app. I'm grateful and excited to announce that the podcast now has a sponsor thanks to Mahler Digital Signage. That's right, 16.9 Projects is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Put your digital signage network in expert hands. This episode we talked to Vlad Edelman, CEO of HeroFi, who won a Gold Medal Apex Award in the Food and Beverages category at DSE 2017 for their work with Buffalo Wild Wings. Although Buffalo Wild Wings is the largest sports bar chain in the world, operating over 1,200 restaurants, they were facing some challenges relating to identity, uniqueness, and differentiating themselves in their communities. They worked with HeroFi to create Dubs TV, a private network that features user-generated content broadcast to assigned stores based on location via the Hometown Highlights program. Dubs TV also has a broad range of locally targeted content, events, and micro-streaming that expand the depth of relevant programming. They combined all this content with some extra data, visualizations, original programming, and carefully curated licensed media. I spoke with Vlad on the floor of DSC about engaging customers via digital signage and why good content may be all about rules. Thank you for joining me. Anytime. Maybe if you could first describe the project uh, at Buffalo Wings and then what it's all about and how it looks. Buffalo Wild Wings is a really interesting brand. right? So they
1: are a um, you know essentially a man cave writ large and have been incredibly successful with their formula, which is both very sports-centric, but at the same time very family-friendly, and they have been on a meteoric growth path in a time when restaurants have been really struggling, so they do—they definitely have something um, magical about their environments, but one of the things that they wanted to do is they came to us with a very specific first project, which then grew into a lot of other things, but their first project was, how do we make... Every Buffalo Wild Wings in a chain that has 1,250 stores feel more local, right? So as they grew and as they become, became bigger, um, they became a monolith, right? And they became you know, a brand that is monolithically huge and um, started to lose some of that local connectivity. They didn't want to become you know, another chain um, that you know, just existed on a, on a brand and not a format. So they came to us literally with that challenge, and what we developed was the product that essentially became part of the um, main underpinning of Buffalo Wild Wings TV, which was called Hometown Highlights. So we came up with this idea of what, well, there's an in-store network that they were then using just for um, showing a lot of action sports videos and all sorts of other stuff. It's nice filler content, but they already have 70 TVs per screen. I'm sorry, 70 TVs per location. So. You know, there, you know, it was just blending into the background. So, what we told them is what if we allow the local communities that each Buffalo Wild Wings is actually um, operating in to help program their own sports network? And then we expanded that to just say to help program their own network. So, they loved that. And then we started to flesh out this project and we launched this program two and a half years ago. We now have you know anywhere between ten and thirty thousand videos a week um, with partners that are also you know supplying videos um, that are ugc and um, the The real magic of the program was that every restaurant in the chain essentially has their own unique channel because the content that actually displays is a hundred percent conditional on the location that it was filmed it. So when a user submits a piece of content using Bdubs.tv, we take it, we post-produce it, we put beautiful graphics on it, we stamp it with the location of the store, Um, there's obviously some filtering for content and and client approval, and then it gets put into a database. Now, if you think about, you know, on a business level, what's actually happening as well is you've got a consumer who's starting to engage with your brand in a conversation, and Then we have a way of reaching out to them that's not necessarily marketing-speak. It's much more about them and content. So then we email them or text them saying, hey, we've approved your content. There's a little bit of an excitement there. Then we say, hey, we've scheduled it to be viewed for these weeks, you know, and it'll be available on TV. Come in and bring your friends and family and you'll see yourself on TV." And it worked really well. So the idea was, hey, when you're in the store, You're a celebrity as well, and the store, knowing who you are, not in a creepy way, but knowing the locations it was operating in, has a profound impact on how viewers see the brand. When they see themselves on the screen, there's this, how did they do that feeling to it because they're so massive,
0: and how did they know that I was here? And that's that's where the project started. And how did you uh, describe that to them so they bought into it? Because I, I, and I'm, I'm picturing a client hearing that, and that maybe all seems a bit abstract, and how are yep. we going to actually maintain this, and how is this going to all work out okay? Yeah. So a lot of the products that, that work off of our platform, which is called HeroCloud,
1: um, sound really dry, <laughs> right? So data visualization... Um, sounds much drier than what you actually see on the screen. Um, User-generated content programming is not a sexy way of presenting that. So what we tend to do is we're an incredibly visual company. We very rarely talk about our products. We almost always show a product, right? So we typically will invest with a client um, as we're developing ideas that live on top of our platform. We will invest in um, actually showing them what it will look like, Um, mocking it up, showing it in the stores, comping their stores in terms of creating an actual (laughs) composite of the content in the store playing on screens, and that goes a much further way of, um, you know, really helping a client visualize what the content will look like, and more importantly, the impact it's going to have as they start to think about it in their way of marketing or buying or, you know, architecture or retail build-out than describing it. Short of that, we do a lot of visuals and we do a lot of, um, you know, uh, presentations where we really show. The explanation on a verbal level of Buffalo Long was very simple, which was, um, we're going to make the community the stars of the store and they love that idea right so how we got there we got there through showing them a lot of different iterations of this but that's the idea that really sold them which is let's let's turn the spotlight back into the community since the rest of your tvs are all on national sports and all on you know national channels that don't have the capacity to show something small
0: so what's going on behind the scenes to make all that happen because you got a lot of a lot of data coming up from what I've seen. You've got uh, user-generated content being submitted. What's What's it look behind the scenes like?
1: So, um, in order to make so so, what I guess we're nominated for and what we made made the finals on is actually all of BWS. To the the project that gets um, a lot of attention is hometown highlights, just because of that you know very close connection. But actually, the rest of the network is very very innovative, right? So, um, what we built is um, a couple of different and unique things right so we built our digital out of home cloud called hero cloud in the last three years so we had the advantage of building not on a very old stack that had a lot of um, you know technological baggage associated with it and device management and all sorts of other stuff we really built it focused on delivering content more importantly we also built it for speed because we realized that in today's world Updating content once a quarter or once a month or once a week is just not fast enough anymore. And a lot of the existing systems simply aren't built for that. It's not their fault. They're just It's very hard to do that. So we started with the idea of real-time, which is very aggressive. And we decided, hey, how do we deliver content and services in real-time when they matter? Um, and so we built a massive cloud. <laughs> Everybody's got a cloud. Uh, but all clouds are different right amazon 's cloud is amazing at e-commerce and securitization google 's is amazing at search and natural language. Our cloud is amazing at rules and what we built is essentially the largest rules engine in digital signage, so to speak and it has a lot of different facets so you know there 's one pillar of it that is all of, all about video um, post production and, and uh, uh, branding essentially so it'll take in it can take in terabytes worth of video post-produce it, put it into a uh, database, green light it, attach the metadata that allows the rules engine to know where to display it and in what context, it could do that in minutes. Um, we have another rules engine that takes in massive quantities of sports data, another one that, for example, takes in massive quantities of music data. So, for example, we can take in sports scores and then display them in real time in these beautiful data visualization templates that show really create a secondary viewing experience to any sports viewing experience. So um, those are just some of the actual products that are functioning on top of the platform, but what we built is really a a rules engine with a lot of uh, attendant pieces that help that engine make the right choices. And then really what it comes down to with clients is we usually talk about products because products are easy to consume. Nobody really buys enterprise software, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to come in and say, hey, buy a platform and then we'll figure out what it's going to do for you. Um, but the reality is that um, we focus the client on making the rules because they really know their businesses quite well. Um, and then we focus on what does a consumer want to see when they're in a particular location. When you blend those two things and put them inside our system, what you get is pretty magical, right? So the goal of the system itself was to create automated uniqueness so that you wouldn't have to hand-create all this content. I come from you know traditional media, and I worked at a lot of media networks, and you know the idea is you, it's easy to build a media network if you're going to spend $4 billion doing it. It's much, much harder when you're working with retail budgets. So we needed to create automation and we needed to create scale. And so the platform was built all around automation and scale without losing that uniqueness. So that's why the rules and the rule engine administration is so important, because it knows that this video is only relevant for this amount of time in this particular location and the messaging around it has been sent to the consumer that consumer is expected to be in a particular store at least two weeks like so that's what's churning in the background multiplied by 10 different products that are all functioning at the same time so, for data visualizations, we have you know 25 different data visualizations that play during games. It knows that soccer is on at X percent time, and it needs to go out and get that, normalize that data, put it into the three templates that run during soccer, and then rotate those templates in a certain time. Same for football, same for baseball, et cetera. And on and on and on. Same with music, where we can pull. Lat-long information from Spotify for Business and know what you know, the most popular tracks of music are in the exact zip code that you're sitting in and not na- nationally. So that's where the uniqueness comes from. People react to, People react to their own environment. So if I put up a screen that says that in this zip code these three songs are the most popular, your thought is like, I live in a community of total morons, but it's a conversation, <laughs> right? So, because this song is really bad and it's still number one, and but now you're interacting. Now you're talking about something that's relevant to you, not to like Alaska or Hawaii or Maine because of the national you know, distribution methodology of a lot of digital on a home we want it to make it matter. So whether it's video, whether it's data, whether it's um, display, whether it's media, it has to make sense to the consumer.
0: But explain to me how that matters. Like, what does it matter to an end viewer that they see the things that you've just described? How does does that help make that connection? Sure. So
1: the difference is if you walk into a particular store, let's even go outside of just restaurants for a minute, right? if you walk into a particular store and what's playing on the screen is, um, you know, beautiful helicopter shots of the Sahara Desert, that isn't going to make you buy anything because it's just filler. If you walk into a store and you see a video of somebody hitting a home run on a Little League team that is from the city that you're in, your emotional affiliation with that brand increases substantially because suddenly you understand that that brand knows the community that it's actually operating in. So one of the benefits is emotional. The second benefit is that you can start to create much more targeted and much more focused content that's relevant to the consumer in that location. So take sports, for example. I use sports a lot just because it's such a great visual. If I'm displaying national data rankings of the top you know, fantasy players or the top quarterbacks during the football season, sure, that's relevant if you're a general sports fan. But if I'm displaying the, only the uh, Vikings in Minneapolis, In a particular zip code and i'm not doing the bears because i haven't crossed into that zip code yet and i'm doing the injuries list and i can go much deeper because i know where i am so i have that contextual relevance of understanding where i'm operating suddenly i'm much more likely to watch that game in that location because that sport has been augmented by what we're providing it's made it an ultimate sports companion where you're sitting and you've got your sports nerd friend who's constantly telling you all the cool stuff, except he's not also drinking beer. He's just on the screen. And is that stuff available all over the Internet? Sure it is. But do you want to be sitting there with your head down on a mobile phone while your friends are drinking? No. Those things create conversations. Being like, man, we really overspend for that guy. Like he's been injured, you know, 30% of all the games. And, you know, that's the idea. So if you're, you know, our goal is never to change consumer behavior to the degree of like you've never gone out on a Tuesday night and now we're asking you to put on pants <laughs> go downstairs and drive to a particular location but we're, our goal is you're standing in front of two fairly similar large format restaurants and you know in the back of your head that restaurant A is going to be a little bit more fun than restaurant B and it's a fence tipper piece of you know, media that we're really talking about that's the goal and that's where this kind of uh, stuff really shines, because you know, like for some reason, all of this data and it's highly local and it's really relevant, makes it more fun because the location knows where it is. You know, all of these videos from my own community are like, oh, I recognize that guy, that's so funny. He lives right across the street from you. Or I know exactly where that intersection is. I did it a go around the corner from that. Suddenly there's something personal, something local about that place. And that's very hard for a massively monolithic brand to replicate in scale. And that's what it gives the brand, which is it gives it a connection to the consumer. It matters to the consumer because suddenly there's relevance. Whereas before, there was there's no relevance to a
0: beautiful shot of a Sahara Desert. It's just pretty. So before we move to discussing this actual project and some of the decisions mm-hmm. that were made in it, what's, uh, having said all of that, um, I'm a big fan of kind of ambient content that just adds to the space without actually selling or doing anything mm-hmm that we traditionally think of as advertising. What are your views on that type of content, like at the Cosmopolitan Hotel or similar properties yeah, yeah. like that?
1: So, you know, the, the best marketing is the marketing that doesn't feel like marketing to the consumer, right? So if I'm blasting you with six commercials one after the other on even the most beautiful TV screen or a tablet or a phone, um, you're still gonna be in a commercial state of mind. The project that I described with um, the uh, user-generated video, the Hometown Highlights project, it's really a marketing program right at the end of the day, but it doesn't feel like one because it feels like content and it feels like you and it feels like it's about you. So our focus is always how do we make the consumer experience in that location better while at the same time driving core KPIs for the client. and that's a tough balance sometimes, right? Because sometimes the consumer wants stuff that's great, but we think about it and we say, you know what? That's good. that's not going to deliver anything for the client, so let's keep thinking. We're big fans of creating augmentation to what is already going on in the location. We're big fans of creating value for both the client and the consumer. Um, to use your hotel example, for example, we're, we're working on the hotel client now where um, whose name I can't mention yet, but... The, the idea inside that location is, for example, something as simple as displaying conditional rules for traffic, right? So if you're you know, two or three hours from where you actually came from, this is thank a you. local hotel um, and yeah, casino. Least, um, you. If you are on the fence about spending the night, the conditions that are present in the environment, it's a service to the consumer to show them that it's going to be a three hour drive to their home city. It's a service to the client to show that rooms at that hotel are on discount that night. Everybody wins, right? So the client, the the consumer knows the traffic conditions and, and it's kind of a service. And the hotel gets to use that information as a sales tool to sell discounted room for the night and potentially push somebody over into, you know, staying one more night and spending a little more money. So those are great projects. Does it always work that way? No, there's always gonna be client that wants to just run conditional media there's always going to be the client that just wants to you know do something a little more traditional but in the ideal world the the content and and we distribute to huge panels down to tablets down to mobile phones to anything that is essentially corporate controlled the ideal scenario is the consumer doesn't even notice that it's there it's just augmenting the environment and they suddenly feel it not see it and that's the big difference
0: I'd like to thank our sole sponsor, Mahler Digital Signage, for their patronage. It helps cover the costs and means the podcast can visit DSC to gather some more great interviews. Here's Mahler's Luis Villafate. Hi there. This is Luis from Mahler Digital Signage.
1: You can find us at MahlerDSO.com. We plan, install, and manage digital signage networks for marketing projects, advertising, and retail. We don't sell PCs. We don't sell screens don't sell advertising or do physical installations. At Matter Digital Signage we offer an all-around consultancy service and project management that will help you find the best hardware and software solutions to deploy from scratch your digital signage network. We adapt to what your company needs from small to large networks with a direct support from our engineers within 20 minutes. So at Matter we manage and design networks. We manage and design digital signage networks. That is it. Check out our website at www.mallerdso.com
0: In the Buffalo Wings project, when you sat down and had your first discussions about all the things that could be done, how far envisioned was it? When you sat down, did you see the potential for everything that you're now doing? Or did it grow into this? How? What, what was that kind of formation like?
1: It definitely grew into this. I will say that Buffalo Wild Wings um, is one of the most forward-thinking brands technologically. Um, they have an innovation group. Um, they've always thought about technology in a very innovative way. So, in many ways, and I've worked with them for a very long time now. So, you know, in a lot of ways, we kind of brainstormed this together because they had a problem they were trying to fix. So, we actually saw a lot of the end goal early, where we were like, "Wow, you know." Coming from, again, from more traditional media, we essentially said, hey, this is is actually a television network. This could be programmed as a television network. Why don't we just try to program it like a television network and not a, a, a touter network that just runs marketing? And it was an evolution where, you know, we launched a program that we thought worked really well, and then we said, you know what? What else would work well in this environment? Well, you're broadcasting thousands of hours of sports every week how do we make it that better? Because there's a lot of competition in that space now. You've got, you know, what's called restaurants and then you've got, you know, every everybody's got fifty TVs on their screens now. So how do you differentiate there? Well, their food and beverage is one of their, you know, advantages, but the other one is how do you perfect the sports experience? What if we started displaying really relevant information? What if we started to display relevant information for particular targets? Let's start with people who are into team sports, then move over to fantasy sports, then move over to, to sports that nobody is actually seeing. This year, you know, one of our uh, interesting focal points is gonna be what we call micro-streaming. So the ability to take media content now, we did this with data, and we did this with user-generated content, but take like the, the Mountain West Conference, right? It doesn't actually have a broadcast deal, because there's not enough national interest. But if I stream that content in in beautiful quality to the... 25 or 30 restaurants where the fans of that conference are likely to eat financially, that is extremely viable for those restaurants. So this idea of delivering the right content to the right place now we're starting to move into much more interesting areas as well, which is the content is now evolving into being truly real-time broadcasting. So now you've got you've got content from the consumers th- themselves. You've got content that augments the national broadcasts, and now you've got your own broadcasts that are micro broadcast just to the locations where they matter most. And now you've really got a consumer network. And that's, that was the end vision, but I think we thought, we saw the, those first two phases, but it's working through those first two phases that we started to think, well, why can't we stream video to uh, an exact location? Why can't we do the same thing we did with sports with beer? and created for them draft board, which is a really innovative way to sell uh, beer? So it's been an iterative process, but um, some of the vision was there from the beginning, from both ends, um, and some of it evolved from just seeing the product in the
0: space. So the execution that I've seen looks excellent. Was there a period in those discussions where instead of the good execution that we see, there was this notion that you'd like squeeze the broadcast TV up and kind of put an L-frame around it and and compete with the broadcast on the same screen? Did you go through a, a period like that?
1: We did. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the cable carriage contracts don't allow you to do that. Right. So, you know, we looked at um, overlays. We looked at um, commercial replacement. We're actually still looking at commercial replacement, which is going to be really interesting. Um, because, you know, it's an interesting question if you pose it. You know, I think a lot of retailers are kind of used to doing things the way they've always done. So when you say, when you raise the question of why are you paying DirecTV T V x millions of dollars to broadcast competitors commercials into your space Um, shouldn't they really be paying you for that Um, because you're delivering tens of millions of eyeballs per month there is a pause (laughs) because it's a different way of looking at it Um, so you know the the reality is um, you know we've we looked at a lot of different ways what we realized is to really deliver on an innovative project like this, we needed dedicated screens. We needed to get the consumer's attention, um, and we needed to get the client to dedicate the screens. And now, you know, a quarter of all the screens are mandated mandated to be on the product. Later in the in the in the evolution of this product, and in the evolution of the matrix and how they control their environments, you know, we could put it on any screen. You know, they or they frankly could put it on any screen that they want. Um, but then that becomes more of a business decision of, hey, if we have a big event, like, we're, you know, going to stream an e-gaming tournament and we're going to invite people to it, and we're going to create a real event out of it, then we might want to take over most of the environment, because there's nothing else going on. So that was always, you know, kind of part of the, part of the vision, and the dedicated, um, you know, really the, de- the de- dedicated screens were part and parcel of getting this on people's radars.
0: The example that uh, we spoke about before we were recording of the, the young girls that were in the property, I mean, that, that example, which I'll ask you to, to tell the listeners about after I'm done speaking, but that, um, that example really only works when, you're, when, when they are on their own screen right beside other major broadcasts, right? Could you maybe exactly. like explain that back to me?
1: Yeah, we've got, a, we've got a great
0: video. We very rarely get videos
1: of the reactions of consumers to stuff that they're seeing. But there was a mother who was so psyched about um, what she was seeing. So the video you're describing is, you know, there's two two little girls sitting in a booth uh, in B-dubs. And the camera pans to a, a, a Jumbotron, one of their Jumbotron screens. And those two girls are hula-hooping um, on the screen. And surrounding that screen is ESPN and Fox and Turner and a bunch of national networks and and then the camera pans back and the kids are just delighted and embarrassed and, and squeezing under the table. And that kind of emotional connection with the consumer in the first place is if you can buy it, it's very expensive, and for the most part, you can't. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just impossible to buy that level of emotional connection. The reality, though, is that um, the, the impact that that makes is that as far as those girls are concerned, it doesn't matter that they're not on the disney network or they're not on the spn or turner they're stars inside that store they're stars and my favorite other example that i told you about right before was you know another another actual colleague of mine Um, at the client who uh, brought his kids to the restaurant so we made sure that a lot of their videos were playing on the screens. They refused to leave the restaurant because they thought that too many people would ask them for their autographs. So you're creating a real conversation, you know, you're creating a real um, reflection of the community and the people in it in these screens and that's why it's so powerful. If it's a squeeze back, if it's an L bar, I don't know if it's a Buffalo Wild Wings product, or maybe it's a new ESPN product, and they have so much stuff on their screens anyway, who knows what it is? So that dedicated signage, and if you look at that network, we we worked with Buffalo Wild Wings to really make sure that their branding was there. Everything is in their colors. Data visualizations are yellow and black and blocky, and one of the first things we said is, we don't want any dancing robots, we don't need any swooshes, we don't want to look like SportsCenter, we want to look like the Buffalo Mobbing's brand, so people know what they're looking at, and it doesn't blend into, you know, the panoply of everything else going on. And that's really had a nice effect, because
0: then when you're looking, you know, oh, this is their in-house network, and oh, cool, I'm on it. So you mentioned earlier about how you really do, you're all about rules, which, you know, those of us who didn't like school a whole lot we don't like rules a whole lot either but maybe (laughs) you can explain uh, why rules are so advantageous in the way you're operating things and certainly uh, if you can compare it to the playlist kind of mentality sure Um, so when we moved into what is kind of
1: classically referred to as digital signage um, we realized very quickly that the entire industry runs on playlists right it's a term that everybody's really familiar with which for the most part are very um, linear, right? It's Play Asset 1, then Play Asset 2, then Play Asset 3. Um, now, those assets, as the industry evolved, have become more complex. You know, some of them are social feeds and, and tweets, and some of them are really interesting videos, and others are interesting data and weather and traffic and all sorts of other modules. But what was really interesting to us in going back to that idea of real-time, you know, relevant um, was how do we create a system that is not dependent on a playlist? Um, so our system doesn't really work off of playlists. If somebody, if somebody really wants a playlist, we can mock it up for them. You do system. it by rules. Exactly. We'll, we just do it through <laughs> rules. So the rule is make a playlist. So when I say we're a rules engine, um, what, and this is kind of a little bit abstract, but it actually works really well when you think about where the world is going in general, right? So what the consumer has been taught by digital media is that the services that they want and need are available when and where they need them. Think of Uber, Airbnb, the on-demand society. So what we decided to do is import best practices from digital product development and really turn digital out of home into digital retail consumer experience design. It's a mouthful, but that's really what we do. We don't really think of ourselves as digital out of home as much as we think of us as part of the basic design of a retail space because retailers can no longer think of themselves as just brick and mortar, as the term goes, or just as the physical space. They have to think of the what is the technology ecosystem that is actually going to envelop the consumer when they walk in and potentially drag out with them when they walk out. So to enable that, we had to build our system a completely different way. So what we did is, you know, if we wanted to support a product that puts a different, um, a different uh, type of video in a particular programming slot um, in thousands of different locations, If you do that manually, you're going to spend an enormous amount of money, and you're still going to fail because you can't do it fast enough, it has to be automated. So what we did is we essentially doubled down on this idea of rules. So the rules are, um, you know, display this content in this context in this location. Now that is simple in and of itself, but once you start building sets of rules, it becomes a little more complex and much more interesting, right? So, for example, I can develop a set of rules that say that if the weather is a certain, you know, um, condition, then display this entire different set of playlists, not just soup, which is what everybody kind of goes to, but but a whole different playlist, you know, that, that is a completely different set of media. If my sales are not where they are supposed to be, you know, at lunch, Um, You know, the conditional rule could be to reprogram everything to push promotional material and to push different types of sales or to actually trigger a sale or trigger a buy one get one. Um, And that level of integration with the amount of data sources we need to integrate with to enable that. Is the, is the work that we've done for the last three years to enable a system that runs entirely on rule sets. And that's made all the difference in us being able to take a product, like in the case of um, DraftBoard, which is a fairly complex product we rolled out for, for Buffalo Wild Wings. It's a secondary network that just sells beer. We stood up 700 locations in six weeks. That is very, very challenging if you do it the old way. What we did is we programmed in the rule set, which said, you know, take all the data out of this database, we designed the templates, we sat down with the client, we decided how much of it is controlled by corporate, how much of it is controlled by the GM. None for now, but <laughs> that's coming. And then we and then we rolled it out onto the existing architecture. And suddenly a new channel lit up in six weeks that was very advanced and perfectly um, in tune with the location where it was operating and 100% accurate, and that's really hard to do without rules, otherwise you're, you're just chiseling your way through it. So where Does that are we answer he- your question, because uh, the idea of rules yeah. is just so amorphous sometimes that it's hard to explain, but I think that's, it's really con- the conditional rules of, of display that we're really discussing,
0: and yep. services for. Where are we heading with all of this? You know when digital science first came out it was really i mean it was just posters on on a screen mm-hmm. and then over time people learned how to animate them better and, and be, be better at it and develop playlists that maybe made sense and now we're talking about you know content that's generated by users and generated by advertisers and generated by data and all this where where's like where are we going to be in like three years with content at a point of sale or in a store or in a at a bar. Where's, where's where are we heading? Boy, three years
1: is a long time to predict in this space. Um, you know where I think we're heading is probably you know welcome back, Mr. Nakamoto. You know <laughs> it's uh, I think that example is actually already come and gone. I think what um, what most people turn to when they think about digital signage and the impact in retail is always marketing, pure sales, right? So knowing more about the person so you could suggest the perfect thing. But the reality is that's not actually how sales work, right? Because it's not... When you're walking into a store sometimes, you're not walking in to buy something very specific. You're walking in to browse, you're walking in to look at different types of of things in the store, or you're walking in to have a nice meal. So where we're going is essentially the merging of... What is the digital ecosystem with the retail ecosystem? And what I'm starting to see already, but what will take probably at least a couple of years to really break down is the retail system lives behind a fortress, right? A fortress of, you know, systems that are proprietary, like POS systems, like inventory management systems. Very, very complex. So when startups wanted to do some cool stuff with wait lists or mobile payment, all this stuff, They could get a little bit of scale, but at some point you always hit the brick wall of the the system, you know, and you're not going to work outside of it. Those are starting to come down. So I think, you know, I'd love to give you a forecast of robots are going to run everything and we're going to eat, you know, soil and green, but the reality is you're going to see a much more moderated consolidation that won't be as noticeable as people think. Just like, you know, today the fact that we're talking about automated cars is not freaking people out if we did five years ago it would because it's just gradually coming and because Uber made it normalized and all this other stuff I think what you'll see is a completely different normalized retail experience you'll see more showrooming you'll see a lot more consolidation between your personal device and your personal behavioral patterns and what is actually in the store and how the store is programmed that doesn't mean a one-to-one literal behavioral pattern match meaning that because i bought detergent on amazon yesterday that today you're going to offer me sponges it means that you know basically more or less who i am demographically and you're showing me content that's making my my trip to the store better. Right. So as I walk by a display, um, the content that's playing on the screens, the promotions that are running, um, are slightly more relevant to me. And the entire store will continuously morph with you as you continue your path through it. Whether that's through screens, shelf talkers, your personal, um, you know, your personal devices, tablets, or whatever, the or just, you know, services. Um, that's what you're going to start to see. You're going to start to see retail fundamentally change into a more digital experience while still retaining the social aspect of physical retail.
0: One last question, if you could talk to people who are creating content or building networks and, and kind of give them one message or shake them a little and tell them not to do something or, or you know, a word of advice, what would it be?
1: um wow there's so many things (laughs) um you know stop playing hour-long loops of video that nobody cares about i guess is one but i think um stop putting in hardware before you've thought of the consumer experience so if i could shake everybody um, and tell them one thing is think of the consumer first I, because I'm in the industry, every time I walk through an airport terminal, hotel lobby, everywhere, when you start paying attention, you see a lot of screens, you see a lot of touch points, you see a lot of tablets and interactive componentry. You also see a staggering amount of broken stuff, broken experiences, things not working, blue screens of death. Error messages on, on screens. Um, huge poster boards in retail stores that say loop not found were are on an error message. The fact that that's not horrifying to store management is terrifying, right? Because that is a terrible brand experience. If I went to a website today, if I went to, you know, a, a subset of an Amazon website and it was a 404 not found, there would be fire bells ringing all over Amazon and people running around and engineers getting fired. But there could be a 122-inch jumbotron hanging in a retail store that sells clothing. I literally saw this last week with a giant blank message on it saying, error, you know, no content source. So the problem is not that the technology, the technology actually works extremely well. You know, there's a lot of fantastic players in this field. The problem is they didn't start with the consumer. So they went out of content. You know, they didn't think it through. So my message is think it through. What is the consumer, what is the perfect consumer additive in this equation with the hardware that you're thinking of putting in? What will make their experience better? And then don't stop there. Think it through for the rest of the year, right? So think it through for the next three years so that people don't realize how fast you run out of content how fast you run out of things to say. This is going back to our rules thing, because you can always program a rules engine to continuously feed more stuff in. That's the other advantage of a rules engine, which is data refreshes itself if it's sports data. Beer refreshes itself if it's scanned in new. Um, Users continuously put new content in, so it self-refreshes. So if you don't have the wherewithal to source hundreds of hours of content, thousands of hours of content to keep it interesting, Find ways that you're going to do something potentially smaller and less visually dazzling, but something that will be consistent, that people, that you can condition your consumer to, that will be always available and that will add to the experience in the store, not be a detractor like a blank
0: screen. So. Great. Thanks, Vladimir. It's been a lovely talking to you. Likewise. That's all for this episode of 16.9 Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, now that's cool, I'd love to hear about it and maybe feature it on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. This podcast is a companion to the 16.9 podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with 16.9, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16-9.net. This podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group. The massive media empire, my buddy Dave Haynes, runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. This podcast is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Check them at MahlerDSO.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Tutton.